Happy Sabbath. I'd ask you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Luke, chapter 3. We will be there for the greater portion of our sermon. I do want to say that this sermon was introduced to me by some members of the church, and they asked me to preach a similar message. So a lot of this is actually taken from a different sermon. But I thought it was, I give it my own spin, and I thought it was a good, a good message to share with the church in light of just finishing the Sermon on the Mount. So open your Bibles with me to the book of Luke, chapter 3. Now, pay attention to this. Imagine yourself, you're in college. Remember back when you were college? Hopefully some of you can remember. Where you're staring at the computer or you're staring at the paper and you have no idea what you're going to write. It's a blank page, a blank computer screen. Back in the day, that little dot, green dot blinking in front of your eyes. Right? You don't know where to sign. You have to write a paper or a report. You're staring at a blank page. You don't know. I remember when I needed to lose 55 pounds, I didn't know where to begin my diet. A woodworking project, you don't know where to begin the first carve. A messy garage for spring cleaning, you don't know what to throw away. A broken relationship, you don't know how to heal. And especially me, when I was confronted by the living God, and my life was broken. I didn't know where to start my spiritual relationship. Where do you begin when you make your life a mess? And if you look at Scripture, there was a period here between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There, there was 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God hadn't spoken a word for 400 years. And sometimes we feel that our prayers are not being heard and God is silent and we wonder what is God doing in the midst of our silence. We pray either for our spouse or our kids and we're wondering where God is. And so the moment that God speaks, we are listening with all ears and sometimes, unfortunately, what He says is not what we want to hear. For 400 years, God had been silent. And God breaks the silence in the New Testament, but first He does it in a whisper tone. He, he first speaks to Zechariah about the fact that his wife and him in old age are going to have a little boy named John. So He speaks to Zechariah. He speaks to Elizabeth. Then He whispers to Mary and Joseph and finally the shepherds. Then He breaks the whispers and brings out his megaphone called John the Baptist. And so we pick up the story in Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. It says in, well, let me start in verse 1. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was the tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Triconitus, I'm going to skip those names. No wonder I should have started in verse 2. And the high priest of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now finally, after 400 years, God has been silent. The nation has been wondering what God is going to say. Finally, God is going to speak. They are all ears, and John the Baptist comes. 
Verse 3, And he came into all the district around Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the word of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So the Bible tells us in verse 7, So began saying to the crowds, So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him. Now let me stop there for a second. Are they coming to heckle John? No. Are they coming to refute John? No. They are coming to be baptized by him. Somehow the Holy Spirit was working in their hearts. The Holy Spirit was working in their lives. They are coming to be baptized by John the Baptist. And look what he says. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 400 years, God has been silent. These people are feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They're coming to be baptized. And the first thing John says is, You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath of come? If I would say that to somebody who just walked into the church, I will get scolded by our elders. I tell you that much. So John, God has been silent for 400 years. He says, You brood of vipers. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Verse 8, he says, Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And there it is. Once again, we left last week's Sermon on the Mount. The fact of false prophets, you will know them by what? Their fruits. So here, once again, John is saying, your fruits are going to bear you out. Your fruits are going to determine whether you get cut down or you get saved by the grace of God. Your fruits are going to be evident in the life of God, in the life of those around you. Your fruits will bear you out. If you claim to be a mango tree and you're spitting out apples, you're not a mango tree. And so the fruits of the Spirit we know are love, patience, kindness, contentment, gratefulness. I'm telling them. It's not just, if you read between the lines what he's saying, right? They're coming to be baptized, but what he's saying, it's not your profession, but it's how you live. Your life with In other words, you can claim Jesus as Lord as those in the end of Matthew chapter 7. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, do miracles in your name, cast out demons in Jesus as we saw? Says, I never knew you. I didn't recognize your fruit. I, your fruit is not part of my garden. Your fruit is not the fruit that I know. Verse 9 once again, indeed. The axe is already laid at the root of the tree. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John isn't pulling any punches, is he? Brood of vipers, you're going to get cut down if you don't bear fruit? 
Yet we know that this is God's message. And John is the Elijah which was to come to prepare the way for our Lord and Savior. The crowd had a response. The crowds were questioning him saying, then what shall... They're beginning to grasp the message. They're beginning to grasp the seriousness of John the Baptist's call and preaching and appeal. That it's not just what you profess to be, but what is it that you are living? Recognizing that they needed to live the life that bears fruit to the glory and honor of God. They then correctly asked the question, then what shall we do? And this is not uncommon for people who have been convicted by the Holy Spirit of God. You look in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preaches the Sermon of Pentecost. He's, they ask the same question, what then shall we do? In Acts chapter 16, when God miraculously saves Paul and Silas, and the jailer is about to kill himself thinking that the prisoners have escaped, he says, don't do that. And then he asks the question, then what shall we do? Too often, mind you, and this is in parentheses, it wasn't in the manuscript, but too often we preach grace without asking people to commit. Yes, we're saved by the grace of God. We are blessed by the grace of God. We can't do nothing without the grace of God. But God will not do for you what grace has enabled you to do. Often we preach about the grace of God and we don't let them know the walk, the road, the narrow road in which they should walk in. So they ask the question, what shall we do? You would think, after 400 years, John would say something, believe in the one who is to come. Believe in God. Keep his commandments. For us modern day, we would say, keep the Sabbath day. Follow the health message. He says, would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. He who has food is to do... Wait a minute, John. 400 years of silence. 39 books of the Old Testament. The law of God, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. You're talking about my possessions, John? That I have to share with others? And that I have to share my food with others? I'm asking about salvation, John. I'm asking about how am I to be saved? I want to be baptized, and John is talking about their possession. I wonder why. But this is not a one-time incident. Keep going in verse 12. And then some tax collectors, you know, the favorite people of the Jews, you know, tax collectors, those people who were loved by the Jews, some tax collectors, mind you, the fact that it mentions tax collectors, these people were convicted by the Holy Spirit. Some tax collectors also came to be baptized, not to heckle John, and they said, Teacher, what shall we do? Oh, you tax collectors, you need salvation. You need to repent and go to God. No, that's not. He said, Collect no more than what you have been ordered. Wait a minute. I have to share my possessions. I have to share my sustenance, food. I can't collect more than I've been ordered to. 
none of these in our modern thinking have any religious overtones to them. You're talking about things that I own, things that I possess, things that are external from my mind and my heart. What are you getting at, John? Look at verse 14. Some soldiers were questioning him. Now, if anybody was more hated than tax collectors, it was Roman soldiers who were having them under oppression. But now soldiers are, were questioning him, saying, and what shall we do? These were all coming because they were feeling convicted by the power of God. God had been silent. God's megaphone, John, is here preaching the good news. They're all asking, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely. I want to start a faith-saving relationship with God. We're all hungering for a faith-saving relationship. We're expecting to hear Jesus died for your sins or the Lamb of God will die for your sins. Believe in Him. He will say what? Like certain basketball player who professes to be a Yankees fan. He's lose, he puts on a Red Sox fan. It's easy to profess anything. You live out the truth of Jesus. Only if you have the Spirit of God living in you, your Lord say something. John understood the profession is easy. Anybody can say, I'm Seventh-day Adventist. And you live it. He came. And he said, the tax collectors came. And he says, selling your people out for the Roman money. To the soldiers who could get away with breaking the law, as long as they were faithful to Rome, he says to them, or accuse anyone falsely. We're learning here. You living for your possessions or your possessions. You know, the Bible makes a curious comment. And finish this verse for me. You guys all know it. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Right? It's the root, if you know. But I, in studying this, I want you to appreciate something. The original Greek says it differently. Says the same meaning, but the nuance changes it a little. If you say to somebody the love of money, right away, what are they thinking about? Money, right? The root of all evil then becomes kind of like secondary, right? And if you talk to somebody who is rich and you mention the love of money, right away, they're going to get defensive about it. Because they kind of know if they grew up in America where this is going, the root of all evil. However, though the original Greek says it backwards, it kind of keeps you in suspense. It says the root of all evil. Right? So now you're wondering, what is it? What is it? Right? You're reading it. What is it? The root of all evil is the love of money. That is different. What all of us deal with? Whether you're rich or poor, deal with how many of your problems in your walk with the Lord have money at the root? If the love of money is the root of all evil, how much of the problems you have in your walk with Christ deal with money? I don't want to point out any names because I really can't read hearts, but some of us are thinking about financial issues. Some of us are thinking of how to pay for things. Throughout the week, we're worried about that. Some of us throughout the week are worried about getting more or not having enough. Anything that preoccupies the mind becomes 
less time for the word of God. Sharing with those who have less was the first group in the text. Honesty and occupation, even those considered corrupt like the tax collector, were the second group in the text. The soldiers being content with their pays, the third group in the text. And how and when was the last time that you were content with your pay? I have to admit it, 